Blog Talk Radio. In Reverend Shar McCain, and I'd like to welcome listeners to Sacred Sunday. Sacred Sunday was created to just focus on the tenets. The Sunday is a special day to set aside some time for spiritual focus, meditation, and prayer. All faiths are welcome. I'm a Christian in recovery, and all Bible readings will be out of the Library Study Bible, but you may use any Bible you wish. I have had personally many spiritual experiences, and I do believe in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
and the Blessed Mother and all the saints. And um, I'm just uh, just doing this every Sunday just to get through our Bible, and we've made it quite far. Um, and in gratitude, we're just doing ongoing Bible readings and discussing our spiritual experiences uh, and reading out of some books and some other materials. I'm just focused on being my real self and carrying the message given to me. The calling number this morning is 619-924-9744 to listen. And Sunday, Sacred Sunday, there is every Sunday, 11 a.m. It's an extended time. For opening prayer, let's say together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The line is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. It just feels so good to say that prayer. And Christos and mercy to everyone. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, let's see. I would like to say happy birthday to uh, everyone that uh, has a birthday or anniversary or graduations or anything. Have a happy, blessed birthday and a very prosperous year ahead. And let's continue with our prayers. And we pray for all the Christians being persecuted worldwide. Their freedom to worship and lives are in jeopardy. We also pray for those whose lives are taken for distorted or even re- evil reasons. And they have become martyrs in my feelings. We pray for those who are suffering from violence here at home and abroad. We pray for those who are sick in mind and body. Those who are lonely and uncomforted. Forgive us our sins, God. We pray for those suffering from domestic violence in our own homes, from freedom from addiction from all kinds. Please help us, God. Send your mighty Archangel Michael to fight against evil and protect us all and all your angels to watch over everyone. Our prayers go out to all those who suffer in the world, including the animals that can't speak for themselves, the little ones who hurt, and all they can do is just cry out. God, please help them. Please help them. We also pray for wisdom of our president and the rest of our policymakers. They had many decisions to make, and we're praying for all the countries for the problems of suffering worldwide. Thank you, God. Amen. And we also ask Jesus to bless us and help us grow under his care, and everyone and their families are in our prayers. And we also have a thought this morning about those who are working hard to do good and they do charity work and they help the veterans and all the other people working hard on behalf of animals and everything else. Uh, Please, God, give them strength to keep going and not let them be disappointed or depressed and just keep them going, keep their foot on the path, Heavenly Father. We thank you. Amen. Uh, You can always let me know if you want a special prayer request. And uh, also, if you don't have a Bible there, you go to www.biblegateway.com or www.biblia.com, my favorite online resource. And we also have thanks Schmoop s www dot com for there are summaries of our chapters that we've been reading and uh, it's uh, they're funny and uh, we just love it and we want to thank them very much for their helpful summaries and it's a really good place www.schmoop uh, for study study books and stuff like that. So as we remember, last week, let's read the short notes. Hold on a minute. So let me get them up here. Um, 
I want to thank everybody for listening in every week, uh, and uh, I really appreciate your feedback, and God bless you for being persistent and listening. You can also listen to this later. Okay, last week was Chapter 8, and we're talking about food, what to eat or not to eat. That was the question. And it's about some meaty issues. Now Paul turns to another important question. Is it okay for Christians to eat meat that has been sacrificed to the Roman gods? Okay, this is a thorny issue. The Corinthians have told him that they think this is fine. After all, there's only one God and one Jesus, so those other gods aren't even real. No gods, no foul, right? Yeah, Paul tells them. That's pretty much right, but you shouldn't get too high and mighty about it. Even though you're right about the gods don't exist, not all Christians fully understand this yet. Hey, there are always to be slow learners in any group. There might be Corinthian Christians out there who still believe these gods are real. That means they're actually committing idolatry in their hearts when they eat the sacrificed meat. And everyone knows that God does not like idolatry. So God, Paul concludes, it really isn't the best idea to tell everyone to help themselves to the realm of their faith just yet. In fact, he kind of wishes that everyone would just swear off this meat, like he does so that they can stop arguing about it. What's better, having a little bacon now and then or hurting your fellow Christians? Hint, the answer is not bacon. So what he's telling us uh, is don't be the problem for your people that you're around. If they can't eat meat, if they're, uh, you go to their house for dinner, don't bring a big old steak with you. If they don't eat meat, don't bring it in their house. You may be able to do so at home freely. Go ahead and do it. And it goes for a lot of other things. It's just not meat. Now, this is symbolic. If if the, if you're inciting people for uncomfortability in any way, you know, just be an example of a Christian. Be kind and loving. Uh, don't eat the things that disturb your friends or do things around them that disturb them. And uh, but what he was talking about is that the meat was uh, that was sacrificed. There had a lot of leftovers and. It was sold at market, so people really didn't know what they were eating. And that was the issue about last time. So let's go ahead and get ready to read um, chapter 9. So turn to your Bibles now. If you haven't got a Bible, you can listen in or you go to www.biblio.com. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, example of Paul and Paul's rights. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not apostle, at least I am to you. For you are the real, the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do you, you not, we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Theopolis? Or do we not only barbar- barbarous and I not have the right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier in his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I am not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also says these things? For it is written the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Or is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it is written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher ought to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. 
if we are so spiritual things in you, it is too much if you read the material. If we read material things from you, if others share the right over you, do we not more? Or not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. We're now on now on First Corinthians nine thirteen. Do do you not know that those who perform sacred sacrifices eat of the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly at the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Paul's restrictions. But I have used none of these things, and I am not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion, or for woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. What then is my reward? That when I reach, preach the gospel, I may not offer the gospel without charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am a free man, free from all men, I am made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To, to the Jews, I might be, be as a Jew, so that when I might win Jews, and those under the law... As under the law, though not being under the law myself under the law, so that I may win those who understand the law. And to those who are without law, as without law, though not being under the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I may win those who are without law. To the weak I become weak, that I may become, might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I may be all means say so. I do all things for the sake of the gospel that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. Then they do it to receive the perishable wealth, but but we and unperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Hmm. Okay, let's read the notes here now. Okay, 9-1. This chapter gives an illustration from Paul's own life in the principle of 8-13. to He did not take advantage of the rightful privileges he has as an apostle. Okay, take along a believing wife. To be married... Peter was married, and as were the rest of the apostles and Christ's brothers. To refrain from working, is it only I and Barabbas who must work for a living? Paul had the right to be supported by those whom he ministered, but he did not insist on this right. It says others derive their living from their occupation. The law vindicates Paul's claim and material things, your material support. If the Corinthian church supported others, was it not Paul even more deserving of their support? Yet he did not take it. And then now we're on 913. The priests were supported by people. In 917, willingly or unwillingly, Paul could not escape his responsibility to preach the gospel because his a stewardship or responsibility had been committed to him, and he was under orders to preach even though he had never been paid. As under the law, when ministering to Jews, Paul became 
as one under the Mosaic Law. When working with Gentiles who were without law, he accommodated to them. But in other, either case, he was lawless, always submitting himself to the highest law, the law of Christ. Now he's talking about the weak. With weak Christians, Paul restricted his liberty, all things to all men. Not at all the same time, all impossibility, but in each different situation, Paul accommodated so to win as many as possible. Okay, the race. Paul draws his readers the knowledge of the, uh, the the Olympian Games, which were held every two years in Corinth, and exercise of self-control. To be a winner, one must train diligently, and they get a perishable wreath in the in the. Uh, okay, then not boxing air. This does not refer to shadow boxing, but to wild misses during an actual boxing match. And then disciplining the body. Paul charges that the metaphor, his opponent is now his own body. By self-discipline, he gives us a knockout blow and he's disqualified. A reference to the possible loss of the reward. Anyway, Paul's trying. Paul needs support and money and food. And he's living like an impoverished mom. Well, people of Corinth were actually paying, you know, probably actors and other people to... Uh, to work and do a place for them in this in the village. However, you know, Paul's starving on the sidelines. So that's what he's complaining about here, that we should be paid a good uh, measure for what we do. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, well, we'll read the rest of the notes next week. And um, I want to thank you so much for listening to that part. And then I'm going to get the... A random story, as usual, I'm telling you, when I read these stories, it means so much to me, and I, I love that the readers and writers are, are, you know, all different people have experienced spiritual experiences. And let's see, how about six, please? This is actually Michael Ulrich of North Wilton, Ohio. That boy is still trapped, Dad said. Jerry, get dressed. You too, Mike. Maybe we can help. It was 6.30 in the morning, but right away, Jerry and I knew the boy was talking about. It had been top news story on the radio and TV the night before. It was 1965, and three teachers and 16 boys from the Methodist Christian Dome in Berea, Ohio, had gone out for an outing. The van carrying them had broken down shortly before noon. While it was being repaired, three of the young guys spotted a cave and decided to do a little exploring. One of them, the same age as me, 15, crawled through the narrow opening in the cave's exterior, then became disorientated and slid headfirst about 10 sloping feet into a V-shaped crevice. He was stuck fast. By mid-morning, newscasters had set an ally call for help. Volunteers needed to be strong, yet small enough to squeeze into the narrow passage where the boy was trapped. That night, after hearing the news, my dad seemed especially serious. His eyes scanned as eight boys gathered around the supper table. It wasn't surprised when he said, we ought to do something. They've got plenty of experts and gear, Mom said. You don't want to get in their way. Dad had said nothing more about it until the next morning when he headed for work and heard the car radio that after 18 hours, the boy, Morris, head down the cave. Rescuers had been working all night, and the 85-pound nurse from Akron, which was tied around her waist, had slid through the opening and managed to wiggle within two feet of the victim but she panicked in the cramped quarters and had to be pulled out. Ohio's governor had contacted expert speed hunter William Curtis, flying him 
and his crew from Washington, D.C. in an Air Force jet. But even Mr. Karras, 136 pounds and skinny as a piece of spaghetti, wasn't thin enough to get through the hook rescue gear onto Morris. The rig is being brought down 100 feet in the top of the overhanging cliff. It was a dangerous move, and the whole cave might collapse, but all other efforts had failed. What's then dead pulled up in the, the, in, uh, to a phone booth and reported that he wouldn't be at work. He turned around and came back to get us kids. An hour later, he and Jerry and I had driven 20 miles to the Wildcat Cave. You would have thought a country fair was going on. Reporters, cars, people, generators to keep the lights and equipment going. The opening of the cave itself stared out like a huge dark eyeball. We asked to see someone in charge, and maybe somebody could help us, but the others had volunteered, and no one paid attention to us. Mr. Carlos was pacing and running similar to his hair. Dad looked at me, and then he nodded, are okay, and he tapped Mr. Carlos' shoulder. I'm sure my boys can squeeze through. They're small, but they're tough. Mr. Carlos said he does. You could tell he was desperate. Finally, he said, you'll have a final liability release. Dad hesitated, swallowed, and uncapped his pen. Jerry was 12 and weighed only 82 pounds. Mr. Karras attached two ropes to my brother and gave him a light, light and plenty of instructions. Morris was trapped around 10 feet down in a crack about 18 inches wide at the top, 9 inches at the bottom. Oh, boy. We watched Jerry wiggle through his foot in the cave's inside walls. Almost right away, he yelled and wanted out and was hauled back. Did you get to him? He shouted. Almost. He was pale, but I can't do it. He bent over sick. It's okay, son, Dad said. Mike, your turn. My usual weight was 135, but I had trained down to 120 to get on the wrestling team at high school. Dad also told Mr. Cross that my first aid training was an Eagle Scout. I worked my way to the darkness like a crab. While the others shone lights in behind me, I eased into the fish head first. They laid downward in a weird kind of swim. The passageway was so tight I had to exhale in order to inch myself ahead. Every time I took a breath, I was like I was locked in tight against the wall. Ten minutes later, I squirmed my way only eight feet. No wonder the kid got stuck in there. I could get caught myself. When I finally got close to Morris, I understood why my brother had gotten sick. Morris smelled like rotten fish. He had been pinned for 20 hours by then in order to turn my stomach too. Dutch was above were poking lights in as far as they could, but I was in my own shadow, and I couldn't use my right hand either. I needed to brace myself to keep from sliding in on top of Morris. Get me out, I heard his muffled voice. Please. He couldn't help me. His one arm was wedged beneath him. Worse, he was slipping in and out of consciousness. Jacara's voice echoed through the opening. He was young at Morris how stupid he was to have gone down the cave in the first place. Oh, my goodness. It was a smart tactic. It roused the trap boy, making him mad enough to answer. When I get out of here, I'm going to beat you up. Anger made his blood stir, keeping him alert. With my left hand, I worked a strap around one of his knees, and the hardest part was getting it through the buckle using only one hand. Sucking my breath, I wiggled back out. Mr. Karras and the other rescuers cheered and grabbed the ropes to to pull at Morris's body. My limbs felt limp as if they were full of hot needles. I rubbed them to get the feeling back. Wrestling had never taken strength like that. It was good to see daylight again, with fresh breathe fresh air instead of that stale cave and a kitty smelled like a outhouse. The cheering stopped. It turned out the pulley had merely wedged Morris tighter. 
Not enough lift, Mr. Carrots announced. He looked at me, still sprawling on the ground. You're the boy's only hope, he said. I hate to ask you, but could you go again? said that the story of Goliath, David and Goliath flashed through my mind. This was a challenge that was sure seemed big as any Goliath. David had been a young guy like me, and he had been giving me strength to conquer this giant. With God's help, I would, too. It was even harder the second trip, but at least I had given him more directions about what to do. Another strap, and now we're on both of Morris's legs. Next, groping the rocks to find some place to hook on the second rope, a doorknob-sized stone jutting out might work. With my left hand and my teeth, I managed to fasten a loop around the rock to pass the first rope through, like a pulley to give lift. Then I finally got out, but I couldn't stand without help. The men hauled me on the rope. It's working, then groans away. Again, only the bottom half of Morris was moving. His upper half was still stuck fast. Nobody said anything. Mr. Carson's eyes were moist when he came up to me again. I shouldn't be asked to make another trip into that pit. David, who felt weak, scared, not up to it. In the Bible story, he had carried five stones, not just one or two, when he went to face Goliath. As I saw it, he had intended to persevere, not just turn and run, if the first attempt didn't hit his mark. He had a job to do, and he did it. I began my third trip into that cold, dark dungeon. Once again, I made a loop of rope about my left hand and teeth. Morris was barely conscious. You've got to help me or you'll never be able to get out of here. And beat up Mr. Carr, I told him. That roused him, and finally between us, we worked the rope around and beneath his shoulders. I secured the ropes and straps in the last time, I hope, and I slowly shimmied back out again. This time, the rescue team had rigged a long pole with a hose attached. They shoved it into the crack and poured a gallon of glycerin into the hose. Morris was greased like a pig to help him slide out. The men pulled. Morris moved, and he was emerging. At 1.30 that afternoon, I got my first real, real look at the boy I had helped save. Jesus covered his face. Morris had been carried to a waiting ambulance, and after 25 and a half hours of being trapped, he was free. He'll be fine in a few days, the doctor said. Suddenly, I no longer felt tired. I felt good. Sometimes the tasks and circumstances we face are like Goliath. They appear to be impossible, but when you confront them, you'll be given the strength to carry on, to overcome, and to help somebody else along the way. The story taught us to never give up. Don't ever give up, no matter what is ahead of you. Keep persevering. I know it's hard. I do know it's hard. I know it's hard to get up and go to work every day. I know it's hard when you're sick. I know it's hard to persevere when you've lost somebody. I know it's hard to persevere when you're broke, when you're poor, when you're living in your car. But persevere. Persevere. Don't give up. It brings to mind people we know, Tyler Perry, who does the Mazia series. He was living in his car and writing scripts and trying to get a way out. He got out. He lives in Beverly Hills, California right now, has made many, many plays and movies. My God, God bless him. Everything he does has a message, and he's not ashamed to talk about God and being a Christian. That should be us. We're Christians. Act like it. Love each other. Go the extra mile. Many things, when we're weak, we are like David and Goliath. David was a little kid, a little curly-haired kid, pulled out his slingshot, and with one rock, 
felled the giant that was terrifying everybody in the land. So that's what we were suggested to do, adjured to do. Get up. Face it. If you can't get up, inside stand up. Because have faith in God. Depend on God and his angels. Jesus loves us so much, he'll never let us down. Thank you, God, for this story. We ask that we do our closing prayer. And as we do, think of every one of those who are still lost and some of those who still have yet to be gained. Please pray for my, my grandson, Mark, and his drug addiction problem. I ask you this. Please help us. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, I had a lovely time being with you today, and I wish you well, and I wish you a fabulous week ahead. And let's conquer, conquer our Goliaths, whatever it is, whether it's going back to school, looking for that new job, trying to get a job, anything, even if it's overcoming illnesses of making your appointments, of just showing up there. Just keep persevering, my friends. Love you very much. And in closing, may God bless and keep you in his loving arms so you may have the strength to face whatever it is ahead. Let Jesus teach you. And remember, you're never alone. Your Heavenly Father is always there. Call on the Holy Spirit if you're in deep trouble. We ask this in Jesus' name. And thank you, and I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.